Here's the pitch. Oliver wants to throw. He's got Lance Carl open. Caught. 15, 10, 5, touchdown. The Buffaloes at four on a 52-yard pass from O.C. Oliver to Lance Carl. Running the option on first down. it go. He's got three people down there. The ball's up in the air. Caught. Touchdown. Caught by Westbrook for a touchdown. Here's the toss play up Breaks a tackle. Touchdown. Touchdown. That's five for Chris Brown. Five-step drop. Sefo. Lufa wants the deep ball. Welcome into a special Buff Stampede radio. Adam Munster Tiger, the publisher of BuffStampede.com, here at the Blake Street Tavern in downtown Denver. And our special guest today is former CU quarterback Bobby Pesavento. Bobby, it's good to see you. you know, what's life like for you now? We were talking a little bit before we started here. Uh, give uh, CU fans an update on, on what you're up to nowadays. Absolutely, Adam. Life is good. Um, it's married, have a 10 month old daughter, so. Uh, she keeps us busy, that's for sure. Um, for work, I work for a company called Marsh, which is a global insurance broker, and uh, senior vice president there uh, in charge of business development for our Pac North region. Awesome. Well, let's kind of reminisce a little bit here. Obviously, we're going to talk a lot about your time at CU, and I know you follow the program closely now, so we'll touch on some of the current Buffs topics, but just going back all the way to your childhood, you grew up in Indiana, obviously known as a basketball state, and you actually started out playing, more. you were more focused on basketball early on. Right? Absolutely. I mean, basketball was my love growing up in the state of Indiana, and uh, you know, I, I honestly thought that's what I would have been doing in college as I pursued that as a, as a younger uh, kid. Um, you know, didn't really discover football until my sophomore year of high school. Um, you know, always had the ability to take a ball and <laughs> kind of throw it where I wanted to throw it, but never had a desire to play football until I had some buddies and the high school coach talked me into to giving it a shot. Um, so the fact that you know, I had some guys believe in me and thought I could do it. Well, it was really cool. And the second I got on the field, you know, it, it was the greatest game I ever played. So um, not that I stopped loving basketball. I still played it. I loved playing it. But um, football definitely took over the second I, I went out there and played it. I noticed you were inducted into the Lake Central High School Hall of Fame, I think about a decade or so ago. Was that including all sports or was it primarily football that you kind of excelled at there? Um, it, it was all sports. I, you know, I played basketball through my senior year and okay. was a, an all-state basketball player and played in a bunch of different all-star games, but um, my passion was just on the football field. I had opportunities to play basketball, but obviously not at the Division One level. Um, 
So it was football and basketball combined with the, the Hall of Fame induction. What were your best memories there during your, your prep career? Did, were there some big games, big moments that you really remember when you think back? Um, yeah, you know, I think back about my senior year. We, we weren't the best team. We were a 500 team. Okay. Um, you know, I, I played for a coach that loved to run the football and run triple option, and obviously I wasn't the yeah. best fit for that. So, you know, we had to tweak a lot of things to to fit what I did well. So it was kind of a learning process the whole time because he really wasn't used to it. But I give him tons of credit for loosening the reins a little bit on what he truly believed in offensively to allow me to do what I was good at. Um, it, you know, we had a rival Portage High School that we, you know, was always the first game of the year, which was always very exciting. We, we were the Lake Central Indians. They were the Portage Indians. You know, we were the blue ones. They were the red ones. Okay. And that's. But it was always a great game, and you know there was also um, a lot of good battles against a, a high school named Andrean High School, which was kind of when we grew up. If you went to public school, you went to Lake Central. If you went to private school, you went to Andrean. So there okay. was always you know that competition there because it was guys we grew up with since first grade that just chose to, to go the private school route. Um, it, it, you know. It was we had fun playing football because we were slinging it around the field, and, and our high school really never saw that before because they were so used to the option. So um, it got people excited. You know, when you look at, at the game of basketball, every Friday, Saturday night in the state of Indiana is exciting for high school basketball. Um, so I mean, it's hard to say. You know, we won a, a sectional championship my senior year. And, and had a good chance to win regionals but fell short so it's hard to name just one memory because it was a lot of fun uh, playing sports at lake central so you first enroll at miami of ohio before transferring to fort scott community college in kansas was uh was there a drive there to play at a bigger program or is there something else that made you kind of change directions in college yeah i think it was a combination of a few things you know i i didn't play football until my sophomore year of high school like i said so I wasn't really heavily recruited because I was very late in the process of playing, you know, varsity football not until a junior. So, um, kind of flew under the radar. I feel like so the schools that recruited me were mainly those mid-American conference schools. Um, you know, I did get interest from Northwestern, ironically, when Gary Barnett was there, but I just wasn't their first choice. So it was kind of a waiting game, and I felt good about Miami of Ohio when I committed there. I was excited to go there. Um, when I got there, it, it was just not what I wanted for college football. You know, it was lower level Division One football with you know 15, 20,000 people in the in the crowd, and I had some differences with the coaching staff. I could admit, you know, 20 years later that <laughs> it just it wasn't. Once I got there, it just wasn't the right fit for me. So, and I felt like. Um, I had the ability to play at a higher level, so I, you know, my, my parents supported me, my high school coach supported me to, to try and pursue that. So I, I think I read something like you took 24 or 30 credit hours at Fort Scott in, in one semester. Is that is that true before you transferred to CU? That's correct. So there's a rule um, where you have to complete 30 hours or have a year's residency basically at a junior college before you can move back to Division One. Okay. So, you know, I waited until after spring ball at Miami to decide to transfer. So I didn't enroll at Fort Scott till the fall. And I wanted to be wherever I was going to end up. 
my spring practice and you know I wanted to enroll in January so yeah. the only option I had was to take uh, I did take 30 credit hours in one semester to uh, to get that done it was like it was crazy I mean it was you know school from eight to four football from four to eight and then just hope you get back to your bed before you fall asleep. When you met with the academic advisor there to set up that schedule, did they look at you a little crazy, like like you were crazy to, to set up that type of a schedule? Um, obviously, they had never really seen anybody do it before, but yeah, I, I think it was just one of those issues where they they knew I was determined to get and play back to Division One football, and I was going to do whatever I had to do. So. Yeah, you're fortunate when you're in Fort Scott, Kansas. There's not a whole lot to do besides go to school and play football. So it, it was a good setting to to accomplish that. Was that something that kind of instilled a, a good work ethic in you going forward? To, I think it did. Yeah, I mean, I think the experience I had at Fort Scott really kind of turned my football career around, and not just football, but academic career, everything, because it was really a, a moment where I could kind of sit and reflect and say, man, I got to do something different. And uh, absolutely, the work ethic, not that I'd never had it before, but it definitely grew and got stronger down there because, and I really learned how to play quarterback there. I had a great quarterback coach who was young, he was like 22, 23 years old, that, that played the game at the college level, that truly taught me how to play quarterback. Cause, um, taught me how to watch film. He taught me how to prepare. So it was a, it was a really really great experience. So you're at Fort Scott and you're you're taking all these classes and you, you're playing football. When did the recruiting kind of take off and, and what what colleges were showing interest in you? Um, I'd say probably two or three games into the season. We had like I said we had a young coordinator. I mean we were in the shotgun five wides every play. I mean we threw it 50 60 times a game. So I was putting up numbers that were at least getting attention from schools. Um, I mean, there were a ton. It was crazy that, you know, obviously CU, um, Auburn, Minnesota, Cal, Arizona State, Tennessee. Um, those are the ones that I think mutually show, we showed the most interest back and forth with each other. The three trips that I took were uh, Auburn, Minnesota, and, and CU. Um, all were great schools, but, you know, reconnecting with Coach Barnett from the high school days was, was really cool. And then, you know, honestly, coming here and, and visiting and watching a game and seeing Ralphie run and, you know, growing up in the, in, in the bus kind of in their heydays in the early 90s, you know, to actually be there in Folsom Field and see the flat irons, it was just, it was just a no-brainer for me to, to, to make that decision. So you spend that semester in the middle of Kansas. I would imagine when you got to Boulder, that kind of felt maybe like an oasis for you. Oh yeah, I mean it was. I mean, growing up in Indiana and, and coming to mountains and being west, it was like, all right, this is this is good living out here. Uh, and Boulder's such a great town and a cool place. It's it was such a, a great place to go to school. Your first action with the Buffs was was it the Oklahoma State game in two thousand and one? No, first action, uh, 2000. Okay. Um, let's see, Zach Colvin started the first two games, but I played in both of them against CSU and then USC. And then I started the Washington game and the Kansas State game. Uh, and then that's, during the Kansas State game is when Craig Oaks came in and he basically played out the rest of that 2000 season. And then obviously you get your next chance in that Oklahoma State game, which I mentioned uh, CU's down 19-7, to and you come in help engineer a, a comeback victory there. 
take me back to that day. What's going through your mind? Obviously, you had some experience at CU, but being in that situation down 19-7, what's your mindset at that point? You know, the crazy thing was is, is I kind of realized how good Craig Oak was and, and, figure, and figured out that this was his team, you know, and as long as he stayed healthy. So all year I prepared like the starter, you know, I was ready when something happened. So when he went down against Oklahoma State, it really, it may sound not exciting or anything, but I was just, I was ready to play. And I think my, you know, the rest of the guys on the offense, my teammates knew I was and trusted me. So um, it, it just went, it was one of those moments where, you know, life is all about the ball bouncing your way, you know, and, and guys were open and our running game was working. So, and when that happens, you know, it's easy to drop back and complete passes and, and bring a team back to, to win a game. We obviously have some other games to talk about during that 2001 season, but with that Oklahoma State comeback, did you guys, like, was that like the beginning of kind of a momentum shift for you guys? I honestly think that was a huge turning point this season. I mean, we were playing really well. We went down to Austin and kind of got hit in the mouth um, by the Longhorns. And then at halftime against Oklahoma State when we were down, I honestly don't even remember the coaches being in the locker room. But, I mean, they probably were, but, I mean, Victor Rogers just completely lost it and went AWOL and was just yelling at everybody, calling everybody out, challenging all of us, you know, that if we were wanted to go accomplish what we wanted set out to, that, you know, this would have to be a great half of football to, to come back and, and beat Oklahoma State. 62 to 36, obviously every CU fan knows what that means. Uh, do people bring that up to you randomly now? Are you in the grocery store and somebody brings that up to you? How, how often? What's the most random place somebody's ever brought that up? Um, let's see. Gosh, my uh, my wife and I were in Cabo, of all places, at the <laughs> pool. And a guy, you know, people were talking, not who we were with, just overheard him. And he had a CU hat on. And, and he started saying that his son went to CU. And I was just like, oh, I went to CU. And he goes... He just goes, man. My favorite thing ever about CU is 62 to 36, and and I try to be as humble as possible. But my wife was like, well, my husband was he was the quarterback. So then, you know, I think that was probably the most far off place that it happened. But it, it usually comes up a lot just because as a as a buff and a buff fan, I mean, it was a it was a huge day. Obviously, 62 to 36 for the one person out there that doesn't know is the final score of <laughs> CU's victory over number one Nebraska at Folsom Field in 2001. Chris Brown, of course, the historic game. Was there something that happened early in that football game where you feel like it really put the Cornhuskers on their heels? Uh, I, I think in our locker room, they were on their heels before the game ever started. Um, I, I really feel like we went into that game with a ton of confidence. Um, very quiet confidence, though. And, and Nebraska hadn't really had to go on the road and play anybody. Um, and it, and we knew how bad CU wanted to beat Nebraska, but you know, over the last 10 years, how close that rivalry was, and we couldn't pull it out. Um, we knew, obviously, we were really good up front with our offensive line, and we felt like we could run the ball against them, which in turn allowed us to run some play action and, and throw the ball down the field and make big plays in the passing game in the first half. Um, I would have to say, you know, after the first drive, I mean, I think they were shell-shocked by what happened to them. And, and they just really couldn't recover. And um, also give I mean, a ton of credit to our defense and stopped and held a really good offense, you know, for a long time. I mean, obviously they got clicking 
a little bit, you know, towards the end of the first half and in the third quarter. But uh, I mean, they did a great job to set the tone and, and keep them to only, you know, 36 points because they were a great offensive team with a Heisman Trophy winner playing quarterback. You guys like to take credit for the downfall of Nebraska, right? Absolutely. I mean, they've, that school's never been the same after that game. Never have. Going back into your memory bank, anything else that stands out to you about that game? Do you think of certain moments that kind of stand out to you? Um, I think, you know, funny moments of just getting in the huddle because we ran 98G so many times in that game, which meant Andre Girard had to pull. And he, I think he was getting a little worn out, all the running he had to do. But it, it was, I can remember vividly being in the huddle and just seeing smiles on 10 other guys' faces. You know, just that, so much confidence in the same. We are just dominating the hell out of these guys right now. Um, you know, on top of that, I think just the excitement that the crowd had. And, you know, Folsom Field being, the sideline being so close to the, the stands, you know, just coming off the sideline after drives and just so many people being right there. You know, couldn't even hear in the headset trying to talk to the coaches in the booth. It was just an electric place that day. What was the celebration like that night? Uh, man. It was probably a, some stories you it, can't share. It was here. a lot of fun. I mean, it was one of those days where, you know, I mean, Boulder was on fire. Boulder's one of the coolest places in the world, but when that football team is playing well, it becomes a, a whole different animal, you know. And um, I remember my brother and his wife were in town, and so they were out with us. I mean, just. I don't have any vivid memories of what we were doing, probably because they were, you know, a little hazed over for certain reasons. But, you know, it was just a lot of fun. The place was celebrating. Everybody was celebrating with us. Everybody was so fired up. And uh, it was just a great day and a great night. You guys go on to play in the Big 12 championship game against Texas. And I believe you actually, was it your knee that you sprained in the first half? Yeah, I sprained my MCL very close to the end of the first half. Okay. Yeah. Now, Craig Oaks is on the sideline, and he's healthy. Did you have to lobby to, to stay in there with the coaches? Or? Um, not really. You know, I, I, I was in at, at halftime, and Coach Barnett came up to me and said, Bobby, are you all right? I said, don't take me out. He said, you're in. I mean, it wasn't much of a conversation. So. so the Longhorns actually beat you guys by 34 points in the regular season. Were you just kind of riding momentum in that Big 12 title game? Or had you kind of just figured things out by then? Uh, I don't know. You know, I, when you look back at the game in Austin, I think we had four or five turnovers in their territory in the first half. So, I mean, when that happens to a team, it deflates you. And so I, I don't think the 41-7 score was really fair uh, what that game was like because we easily could have been winning in the first half we just had held on to the football and protected it so I think we were pretty confident going into that game because we knew how close we really were in Austin even though the score didn't show it and obviously we wanted to redeem ourselves but we we, we felt like with the guys we had in our game plan that you know they couldn't stop our running game and, and it's just a simple thing of football. If you can run the ball and get as many guys as you can in the box and all of a sudden it's a lot easier to throw it complete passes down the field. So um, it was, I think we were very confident. Obviously momentum helps, but I think it also goes back to the fact that we knew how close we really were in Austin. Even though we got blown out, the score doesn't show how close we were. Where's the Big 12 championship ring now? Do you ever wear it on occasion? Sometimes I wear it if, uh, you know, to, to games or if there's an event or something. Uh, 
it sits in our closet and my wife's little jewelry deal she has, uh, but doesn't get worn very often. I've talked to other members of that 2001 CU team and they've expressed frustration over the fact they didn't get into the national championship game. How much do you think that frustration might have led to obviously a disappointing performance against Oregon in that Fiesta Bowl? A hundred percent. I mean, I know our, our team, my teammates and our coaching staff, we truly felt like we deserved to play in the national championship and to be as close as we were in the rankings. I don't remember exactly what it was, but it was less than a point, I think. Um, you know, behind Nebraska, who we just got done blowing out, who didn't even win their division within their conference. Um, you know, we felt like we got ripped off. And I think I can look back, you know, 15 years later and say that, you know, I, it hung over us and we didn't prepare as well as we, we should have. And we weren't as ready as we should have been to play Oregon in the Fiesta Bowl. I'd imagine everyone on that team uh, you know, nowadays probably wishes they could kind of reverse the t time, maybe 15 years, and kind of maybe have a different mindset, obviously, in that game. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you never want to, to lose a game because you didn't prepare correctly. And not that we weren't prepared to play. I just think that not going to the Rose Bowl, not playing for the National Championship, just kind of took the wind out of our sails after the two huge victories we had against Nebraska and Texas. So you go on, you play four years in the Arena Football League. Uh, you had a year with the Colorado Crush in 2003. What was that experience like overall? It was a lot of fun. I was, you know, fortunate that I got to continue to play the game that I loved, and uh, you know, I, they actually paid you money to do it. You know, it, it was a great experience. Um, it was fun playing for the Crush, being around John Elway, and you know, getting to pick his brain. Uh, you know, and then you know, spend some time in Austin, Texas, which was a great city to live in. You know, it was kind of fun to go down there because. Those Longhorn fans at that time were still hanging on to the fact that, you know, they were one win away from playing for the national championship that season. Um, it was great. It was enjoyable. Uh, it was a lot of fun. You know, I wish there would have been an NFL career, but, you know, you, you turn the page and life goes on and you make the most of what you can do. Before we started the interview, you mentioned that you play, actually played in the Arena Football League with Darren Cheverini. Of course, he's on CU staff now. Uh, were you pretty excited when you saw the news that he was coming to Boulder? And, and have you kind of paid close attention to some of the recruiting uptick we've seen since since he came back to Boulder? Yeah, I was extremely excited when uh, they hired Shiv. Um, I think he's a great coach. Obviously, he loves the Buffs. He wants this place to be successful again. And you can see it just since he's gotten here in, in regards to the, the level of talent that they're gaining interest from and they're getting commitments from. Uh, you know, I, I'm super excited he's here. I'm excited to see what the offense will look like with, you know, a little bit of a wrinkle he may bring from Texas Tech. You did a little coaching after you retired, right? I think you're down at Regis for a while? Yeah, I coached a year at Regis and did a little one-on-one, -on -one, you know, quarterback training with, with kids, which, yeah, I, I enjoy being around the game. It, and I loved coaching. It was just too much of a time commitment on top of, of having a job. So it's, uh, it, I, like I said, I love the game. I love educating kids that truly want to learn and, and get better. And so um, yeah, the one-on-one -on -one stuff I was doing with quarterbacks is great. But at the same time, you know, you, 
you get married and you have a kid and you have a job and you just can't fit all the hours into the day to do all the things you want to do. The first two words in your Twitter bio are "Go Buffs." Uh, have you even ever since you graduated? Have you always kept a really close eye on the program? Absolutely. I, you know, I, I love the University of Colorado, and it, it allowed me to to play the game I love and to play it for a few years afterwards. But then at the same time, you know, catapulted me to a, a job in the real world too, and and have a, a network of people to to work with. So. Um, I follow them closely. I I, I heard every Saturday because I want to see those, and not because for me. I want those kids to experience what I got to experience. You know, winning football games in Folsom Field, going on the road and ruining eighty thousand people's day. You know, ruining people's programs and their seasons. That's what it's about, and, and, and I just wish, because I know they're playing their butts off, and, and all they want to do is win. So um, it's it's been hard. It's been a struggle because I want, like I said, I, I just want them to experience what me and my teammates got to experience. You mentioned that you went to the Buffs for Life golf tournament. Uh, so obviously, you keep in touch with guys you play with. Who are some of your, your closest friends from, from those teams you played on up at CU? Um, absolutely. You know, I mean, I think the guys here locally in town that I stay connected with the most are Justin Bannon, Dan Graham, um, a few guys that were younger than me, like Matt McChesney and Sam Wilder here. Um, you know, guys that live elsewhere. You know, Bo Williams played tight end for us. He's one of my one of my best buddies. Um, but so many guys go in so many different directions. I mean, it's it's hard. So the Bus for Life weekend is it is just a great opportunity to reconnect with guys and spend you know 48, 72 hours with them, play a little golf, and, and have fun. When Rick George was hired at CU, he felt there was kind of a fractured fan base and even kind of a, a fractured situation among some of the former players. Just kind of how the John Embry era kind of played out. Obviously, it wasn't Rick George's involvement there, but he kind of noticed that, that things weren't the way they should have been when he got hired. Do you feel like since he came on board, that's been repaired or fixed, or is it kind of a work in progress? Um, yeah, I'll start by saying I'm a huge Rick George fan. I love, I love what he's done so far since he's been here, and I, I think he is doing exactly what you said. He's repairing that, you know, crack that there was between former players because we were, in a, honestly, a little alienated when Dan Hawkins came here. He didn't want them around. He thought, you know, he he had his his ways of doing things, and that didn't include former guys that played. So, um, you know, I think Rick and, and Mike McIntyre alike have done a really good job of, you know, just saying, guys, you're welcome here whenever you want. You want to sit in meetings, sit in meetings. You want to come to practice, please. So it's, I think guys are, are coming back because a lot of the, the, you know, maybe the guys that are older than me that knew Rick when he was here, you know, at, at before, and feel that from him too but now some of the guys you know that I played with are starting to get to know Rick a little bit better and getting closer with him uh, I mean I think he's doing a fantastic job and I think this thing's headed in the right direction obviously Rick George engineered the, the these new facilities have you had a chance to get up there and, and tour around a little bit and, and really enjoy kind of what they have up there now yeah um, we attended an event up there and I've had a couple tours of it it is incredible I mean I, I've heard from a handful of people that 
have traveled the country and see kind of all the other ones that are out there that there's none better at, in college football. So there may be some that are a little more opulent, but when it comes to being functional, you know, I, it's it's amazing what these what these young men have, and I'm I'm happy that they have it, and I'm happy that it's going to lead to you know better recruits and, and getting guys interested in, in being a buff and, and putting that black and gold on. I'm sure you followed the Davis Webb saga a little bit. Obviously, that left a bad taste in a lot of people's mouth. Uh, but Sefo Lufau is expected to be healthy and ready to go for camp coming off that foot injury. As a former quarterback, what, is, what are your impressions of Sefo and what do you hope to see out of him this season? Obviously, Sefo is a fighter. He's a warrior. He's been through a lot of you know struggles trying to get wins for this team. Um, he's a big athletic kid. He can he can sling it. I just think he needs to be, he needs to make better decisions. He doesn't have to force the football. He doesn't have to be the one that goes out and wins games. I, I, and because of, I think he puts a little too much pressure on himself because there hasn't been the wins that everybody wants them to have. And then when you do that and you press and you force throws that you don't need to make, all of a sudden you turn the ball over and it changes games really quickly. So. Um, I mean, if he was sitting with us right now, I'd just tell him, you know, trust your teammates, trust the offense, don't force the football. You know, throw it in the stands and punt is a lot better than turning it over and, and putting momentum on the other team's side. Um, if he can do that, I, I think the offense has a really good chance to be successful. They're expected to have basically 43 scholarship upperclassmen on the team this year. That's kind of the, the most they've had in a while. It seems like Mike McIntyre's fixed the attrition issue. That said, what are your expectations for this year's buzz? You know, I, I truly think that they should be able to get to six wins and get to a bowl game. Um, I mean, it's still a tough schedule. The Pac-12 is, is brutal. And then you throw in, you have to go to Ann Arbor and play, you know, at Michigan. That's not going to be easy either. Um, and then CSU is never easy just because of who they are. So it's going to be a challenge. But I think they have the talent and the ability now to, to get to a bowl game. I, you know, obviously you walk in and you tell your kids, you know, we want to win our conference and all that stuff. But, you know, as a, as a fan, and I'm not talking to those the players, right, I would be happy if they, if they got to a bowl game, no matter what it was, and, and get three to four weeks of extra practice, you know, and, and – and be in a game in December or January where recruits CCU in a bowl game for the first time in a really long time. And that's true. I mean, I expect that they'll get there this year. Awesome, Bobby. Well, it was great uh, taking a stroll down memory lane here with you. It's great to hear that you're doing well. Obviously, you still live in Denver and leave black and gold. Uh, thanks for taking some time out to, to chat with us. Absolutely. Thanks, Adam. It's great to join you. Something special happened today. All the way with no big red sign to stop me, no traffic jam delay. See, I was driving over the moon in my big hot air balloon, floating high into the darkness. I hope I get there soon